Praise the Lord. And amen. And it's all about Jesus. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, how often do we make it all about me? And what a difference. I can imagine there would be such a difference in our lives if everything was all about Jesus. I mean, it's not just uh, the strength and the blessing you get when you're singing and you start to worship him, but there is a place where you can have the strength of worship empowering your daily lives, and that's really what it's all about. I wanted to talk about worship today and what is true worship. And as I went into it this week, I found that it's not such an easy subject because we all have different ideas about what worship really is. It's not just about singing, and it's not just coming to church. You, you do worship when you sing, and you do worship when you come to church. And so, you know, this is things we do, but this isn't really our worship in its highest, most strengthening form. Worship is actually about worthship. It's what you put your highest devotion to, your highest esteem to. In fact, there's different words in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Worship can be bowing down. Worship can be praising. Worship can be uh, awe and devotion, piety, an old Puritan word, piety. But living in a state of uh, service to the king, there's a word for worship that's translated as service. There's all kinds of things, and I just kind of come up with my own definition of it. And I had to write it down so you could hear it. But uh, Bell's definition of worship is the declaration of ultimate worthiness with our lips, our hearts, and our lives. And worship is worthship. You're, you're living according to what is your highest worth. And the problem today is, and I'm getting this when we're saying it's all about Jesus, is that it's usually not all about Jesus. When you go and pray, is it all about Jesus or is it about, I need these needs met. I need to get this thing fixed in my life. I need to see something happen. And that's not wrong because the Lord wants us to come to him with these things. But ultimately, if we can get to the place where we're living above it's me, where it's all about the glory of God. That's where things can change. That's where meaning and fulfillment come into your life. You know, I was reading about this generation in our culture. It's called the me generation. And we live in a me culture. And the greatest virtue of the me culture is to seek the self-fulfillment, to seek your dreams. And don't let anyone tell you what to be or do or how to do it. It's all up to you, boy, or all up to you, girl. It's it's you you got to seek your happiness. And that's what's been ingrained into us. And, that, and we it just sounds right. But, you know, this isn't the way it's always been. Other generations have been more about duty and responsibility. And you see it in the Old Testament, you know, when they called a fast. The whole nation came to, to a fast. They weren't saying, well, you know, it's not convenient for me today. They just, it was their duty, their responsibility. You have the greatest generation, World War II. They were living for a cause above themselves and the problem with us is we we have a hard time getting above ourselves but i wonder what would happen if we did how it would bring meaning and fulfillment and the question is are you experiencing meaning and fulfillment in your christian walk in your life and if you're not the question is who are you worshiping or what are you worshiping well why is this such a big deal and I'm spending a long time on this introduction. It's not going to be a huge extended sermon, but it's got to be set up. But why worship anyway? Why does God want us to worship him? 
And it's not because he has some ego that has to be stroked. He's not insecure. Why does God want us to worship him? It's because he loves us and because he wants us to be about what is of greatest worth. You see, we're all created as worship beings. We all worship, not just the church. Everybody worships, whether it's worshiping their, their self or worshiping a relationship or they're worshiping uh, celebrities and idols in China or in Thailand bowing down before gold statues of Buddha or if it's worshiping the almighty dollar, what is it that they're worshiping? Everybody worships. We are worship beings. We were created to worship. And if we're not setting our worship onto that which is of everlasting value, everlasting worth, then we are not making the connection that God wants us to make. And that connection is a connection in which we express our love to him, and through that he expresses his love and communicates to us. So it's very important that we understand what worship is and how to worship. And, you know, I talked about there are different words that express it. There are different uh, pictures in the Bible of what worship is. There are people bowing down, falling on their faces. There, there's the worship in glory with every tribe and tongue, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And in the Old Testament, worship involved bringing animal sacrifices and slaughtering them on the, on the altar. And you can see that if you go to that tabernacle tour, perhaps. But that's what the woman at the, at the uh, well was asking Jesus about in John chapter 4. You know, she was thinking the mountain and where are we supposed to go? But let's just read from verses 19 to to 24, because the issue of worship comes up here. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So, here right away, worship in spirit and truth. The woman was asking, which church should I go to? Mountain Tabernacle or Jerusalem Jubilee? You know, this one has a pretty quiet worse. This one's kind of wild and crazy. No, but it's not about place. Jesus was saying it's not about place. It's about presence. It's about the Lord's presence. Where is the Lord? Is the Lord on that mountain? Of course he is. Is the Lord in Jerusalem? Of course he is. He's everywhere. But you don't always sense his presence when your presence isn't given to him. He wants people to worship in spirit and truth, and it's not about a place. It's not about where you go. And uh, a lot of people, we were talking about this before the service, that a lot of people think, well, it's just a matter of going to church. And as I said before, you can worship anywhere besides church. It's, a, it's not the church is the place where we're called to worship. What is the purpose of church? I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Our purpose is to gather together a people who are worshipers in spirit and truth so that we can encourage one another and testify what the Lord is doing and build each other up so that we can go out into the week and be the church and reach the lost for Christ. 
or make disciples for Christ, make the world a better place for Christ, to usher in his kingdom by doing his works. And that's not easy to do because the world's against us, the world doesn't promote it, and most of the people you're around at work or school or whatever in the life are not promoting that. So we come together as a church to build each other up and to encourage each other and all the more as the day is approaching. And that's the purpose. And we, we come together for corporate worship. You go Because you can worship wherever you are, but when you come together for corporate worship, you have an experience with each other, and it, it strengthens the body of Christ. It's not about place, but we can get, make the mistake that it has to be this wonderful, ornate thing like I saw in Bulgaria. I think I might have mentioned this once before, but in Bulgaria, I went into an Eastern Orthodox church. I said, I want to see what one of these things looks like. And it was this huge, beautiful structure, and when I walked in, it was so, so beautiful, and they had all kinds of things, and, and I walked in, and it was almost like, oh, this is incredible, and I was looking at all the decoration and all that was put into it, and uh, in just a matter of two or three minutes, it was like it all disappeared. I was just like, the Lord's not here. I mean, the Lord is there. Wherever we go, we bring the Lord, but there wasn't anything special about that. There was some beautiful art, artistry, some beautiful art, decoration, everything like that. But it was just like suddenly I realized there wasn't a sustainable sense of anything special. It was just, you know, nice stuff, but it was empty. And I, I could sense it. At first I was, I was just not prepared, and I thought, wow, but it just passed. And in contrast, I've been into these little dumpy villages in China, where just dust and fleas and, and broken down shacks and things like that. And we went in there and we saw the, the glow on the faces of the people and we were ministering Christ. And, and uh, it was like the presence of God filled these little places. It's like we didn't want to be anywhere else. It was like a part of heaven on earth, even though you had to shoo the mosquitoes away. But that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's the presence of God. It's not about a place. And Jesus was born in a manger. They, the wise men came and worshipped him in the manger. And you can worship the Lord while you're washing dishes. And usually that's not the attitude we have when we're washing dishes. But you can. That was uh, Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God. He writes a book about it. But the point is you can make everything an act of worship. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you're singing while you're washing the dishes, although that would be a fun thing to do if you, if you like to sing. But it can be simply you're meditating on, on things of Scripture. You're, you're thinking how you're being in thanksgiving. You're giving thanks that I have dishes to wash and that I just ate. I mean, you can turn everything back to the Lord if you set your heart to it, if, and it's, it's what we're talking about. He wants us to set ourselves to him in spirit and truth. So when we talk about spirit, um, the Greek word for spirit there is pneuma, and it means breath. You have Psalm 150 that says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Unfortunately, there's a lot of bad breath out there in the world. It's not praising them. But breath, the breath of life, the spirit breathed into Adam and, and what we live and move and have our being in God. The breath, or another meaning for the word is the blast of air. And then it comes to vital principle or disposition. What is your vital principle? What is your disposition? And so the woman thought, about bringing offerings to the mountain when she was asking this question. 
But Jesus said, no, we, we, we want worship in spirit and truth. He was just talking about giving a spiritual offering. A spiritual offering. So wh- how do you give a spiritual offering? What we do for the Lord, how we think on the Lord, when we read our Bible, when we pray, whatever we're doing, it can be an empty motion or it can be filled with a love, a desire, a drawing towards him that he might draw towards us. That's what he's talking about, a spiritual offering where you're giving your heart in the process and it's not just an empty motion. It's funny, I, was, I went to a wedding and uh, one of the songs they sang before the, the actual uh, vows and everything was, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence... I'm not going to sing. I'll let Randy do the singing. But, you know, it's funny. They were singing, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And as I looked at the blank stares and sleepy faces, the words finally came to I see Jesus in every face. (laughs) I didn't see it. But there, there was no presence. It was an empty motion. The spirit wasn't there. And when I say that, I don't mean God wasn't there. And I'm not saying all those people were spiritually dead, but they sure weren't throwing themselves into the worship. Worship should be emotional. I mean, there's a time to be still and worship quietly and be still. But you know, thousands of students flocked to these college campuses recently, and they accused them of being overly emotional. I'll tell you what, if you're affected by the presence of God, it's going to affect your emotions. Well, I'm not that emotional person. I'm just kind of a well-to-do person. Well, you need to be emotional. When it comes to things of greatest value, greatest worth, worship, it ought to do something inside. You may not express it exactly the same as everybody else, but, you know, I think we play it too safe. And, you know, you want worship to strengthen your life. You ought to give more to God in your worship, not just... Yeah, 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 and, and praise the Lord. But, you know, lifting up holy hands and bowing down prostrate, and now everyone's going to be ashamed if they're not doing this in our service. Now, I, I, here's what I often recommend people. If you want to build worship in your life, if you want more of the Holy Spirit's presence, you've got to give them something to work with. So it may be you're uncomfortable in a group of people, but you can always get alone and lift up your hands and to do a little dance or something. David danced before the Lord. Sometimes some of us are too dignified and too straight-laced that we would never do that in public. Okay, I don't want you to do it in public and make an embarrassing picture and distraction. But get along with the Lord and don't just, Father, I worship you and I thank you, but start throwing your body into it. No one's going to see you but him. And you'll find that sometimes, like lifting your hands, it's like lifting up the antenna, and the Holy Spirit comes in. He sees you're throwing your whole self into it. And, it, and when we worship and we experience his presence like that, it builds us up in the spirit, it strengthens us, and it does us good. Because worship is the means that we communicate to him, he communicates to us. And God gave his all for us. We, we can give our all to him. And David was criticized when he danced before the Lord. You know how, how the king uh, disrobed himself before the maidens today. And, and, you know, I don't believe he was totally naked, but he was dancing and he didn't care what people thought, whatever it was. And do you remember what his response was? He says, I will be more undignified than that, yet I will be held in honor by those, those people. 
I will be more undignified. What is it? Does God want us to be undignified? No, he just wants us to be humbled. He wants us to humble ourselves, and that's a way we humble ourselves. It's, an also, it's also an act of faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. But I can humble myself and be in faith, and no one can see me when I'm alone worshiping the Lord. And he sees it, and he loves it, I believe. He's seeking it. It says the Father seeks that. So that's spiritual. That's worshiping in the Spirit. And, and thank God that Jesus came and made a way that we could worship him in, in the Spirit and in truth like this. Because now we don't have to carry sacrifices. We don't have to make the mess. We don't have to go to the mountain. And we, we have the privilege of just freedom and grace. Jesus came. The whole point of his coming was to seek and save the lost, to put a spiritual salvation in our hearts. Um, and he got, he got in trouble because they thought he was coming against the law. No, he came to fulfill the law so that we wouldn't have to be bound to the law. And so the Lord said the law wasn't good enough for my people because that wasn't going to justify them. They had to have a Savior. And we give them thanks all the time. Thank you that we are freed from the law. But the law wasn't good enough for the Father either. He wanted to make a way so that he could have our hearts. No flesh being justified by the works of the law. The law was there, and the law is good, and the law is holy. The law is there for a reason, to show the holiness and the justice of God and the goodness of God. But it's not his ultimate desire. His ultimate desire is the heart. My son, give me your heart, it says in the Old Testament. And so it's li giving our hearts so that we're not living for ourselves, but our devotion, our awe, our spirit is going towards the Lord, not empty motions. So now, what about the truth? Because you can have the spirit, you can have these things I just talked about, but not have the truth. And you have to have both. When I was a young believer, I went to this house church meeting. It was a pretty crowded house church meeting. And we sang for probably at least an hour. And as a young believer, I like to sing, and I love anointed worship. I've, I love today. But at the time, I was more hungry. I had to hear the word because I was a new believer. I was hungry for the word, and, and I was waiting to get through the song so I, so I could hear something that, would, that I could walk out with. And I didn't understand the whole thing at that point. But they sang for an hour, and they were they were excited, emotional, people were in tears, lifting up their hands, and they kept going, and I thought, I can't keep up with it. And the next day, I uh, talked to my friend who had brought me to that meeting, and I said, you know what, I guess I'm just not as spiritual as these guys, because, you know, after three or four songs, I was, I was kind of weary, and, and I saw they were just still excited and going with it. And he said to me, oh, don't say that. If you knew these guys like I knew them, you might not say that. He said that they're not, a lot of these people, they're not living for the Lord. They're not uh, talking about the Lord outside of a church service. They're not interested in things. They're, they're you know, they're involved with certain things that, that you wouldn't think a Christian might be involved with and stuff. And I see you, you're, you're pursuing the things of God. It's obvious outside, but, you know, don't be misled. People can get excited about things, and yet... And yet they're not in the way of a, 
everyday lifestyle, a sincere walk with God. It's an experience. You go to church, you have an experience, you have a, a feel good, you've done your religious duty, but then it's business as usual. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And this is talking about a lifestyle, I believe, of worship. First of all, it's by the mercies of God. We're not forced to worship. We're not, we're not bow down and worship me. God doesn't want us to worship him just because he wants to overpower us like that. Like I said before, he, it's because he loves us and he knows that this is where the life line goes. This is the circuit that gets connected, that plugs us into the divine and all the blessings and benefits of a relationship, fellowship with God. And he says, in view of this mercy, and the mercy that you can even come, you don't have to sacrifice the animals. You don't have to shape up and be the best Christian in the world. You can come as you are and offer yourself to him. It's your reasonable service. And some of the translations you'll see is, this is your reasonable act of worship. In fact, that word for uh, reasonable service is latrio, I think is what it was. And it means service, but it's used as worship in other places. So this is a lifestyle and it's a continual offering of your life in truth. When we talk about truth in this sense, it's talking about in a genuine, sincere devotion to the Lord that plays out in your reasonable service. So that's one way of looking at truth, but then we need the other way of looking at truth as well. When we worship, we need to be correct about who and what we're worshiping. We need to be in the truth. And it says in 2 John 1, verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and his Son. So here we see that you have to have the doctrine of Christ. You have to be right about who Jesus is. There are cults out there that put in a good word for Jesus, but he's not the biblical Jesus. And there are people out there who love the Lord, and they'll, they'll give a nod to God, and they'll say good things, and at Christmas they'll, they'll get all into it and everything, but they don't believe in Jesus. They don't trust in Jesus for salvation. And there are a lot of people out there that, yeah, I believe in God, and yeah, God is good, but they're not following Jesus. They don't have the doctrine of Christ. They don't understand their need for a Savior. And as great as it is that they love the Lord, they're still lost. They're still not worshiping him in the prescribed uh, person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, There's, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In Acts 4.12, I believe it is, there's no name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Salvation is in no other. And so... I want people to love the Lord and believe in God. That's better than being atheist. It's better than being uh, you know, a Satanist or being a, a criminal that does things without any regard for God whatsoever. They, they have some regard for God, but they need to know about Jesus because as good as we can get, as good and perfect as we can be, we can never be good enough, and we need a Savior. And that's where the doctrine of Christ is so important. In China, they had textbooks when I was there. They said that Jesus was a good teacher, and he left no writings 
but he started the religion of Christianity. That's, that's not the essence of who, he, first of all, it's not right. He didn't start Christianity. He had nothing to do with Christianity. This is just what we call the, the faith, but he came for a purpose. He came to die for us and to rise again from the dead. And he was a good teacher, yes, but that's not his, his main job description. His main job description was Messiah, Savior, and his main job description is king of kings and lord of lords. Oh, by the way, he was a good teacher. But first of all, people who say he was a good teacher, well, why don't you listen to what he said and follow him? They don't do that. But he was much more than that. So we have to be right about who Jesus is. And we have to come to the Father through him because otherwise we are stuck with the mountain and Jerusalem. We have to offer the sacrifices and it never will atone for us completely. That's why he sent his son, so that we all could become worshipers in spirit and in truth. Amen or oh me. So, we know spirit and truth. It's a lifestyle and it's right. Uh, A.B. Simpson, who formed the Missionary Alliance, you know, he talked about in China back in the late 1800s, I guess, when they had missionaries there and uh, there were... Christians at the time before things changed and the Cultural Revolution came and drove out all the, the Christians, Boxer Rebellion, all that. Um, but they said that the Chinese thought of Christians as anybody who was a Westerner. And they didn't like what they saw because a lot of them seemed to be living immoral lives and no different from anybody else. But then they did recognize those who were really following Jesus and they called them Jesus people. Jesus people. And I think that's, you know, we, we're looking back to the 70s right now. They've got a movie out about the hippie revolution. I think they called them the Jesus people. But, you know, we all could be called Jesus people. And what would that mean? It would mean we're living a life that's following Jesus, a lifestyle, and we're promoting Jesus. We're, we're the doctrine of Christ. People need both. They need to see our works being devoted to him, our mouths being devoted to him. And the truth is what sets us free. If you're struggling in your Christian life, are you worshiping him in the truth as well as the spirit? Are you allowing the truth to dictate your reasonable service, your obedience or lack thereof? Now it's getting quiet. Okay. So, well, this sounds good, Pastor. What do we do? Because I, I, I'm weak in this. We're all weak in this. We live in a world of of flesh and falsehood, not spirit and truth. So how do you build up spirit and truth in a world of fleshliness and falsehood? Well, one, you keep yourself in the love of God. Jude 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then we read, by a view of his mercies, we offer ourselves. It's, he loved us. He first loved, we love him because he first loved us. When we forget about the love of God, it, it loses something in our motivation to live for him. And yet we can take the love of God for granted so easily because we hear it over and over again. God loves you and God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. And we have our plaques and our Hallmark greeting cards and we always are reminded that God loves us. And it can get to be so much heard that we really forget to be affected by the love. And so... We need to keep ourselves. How do you keep yourself? It means you, you train yourself to, 
stay in love. That mean, might mean you have to listen to some birds in the morning and think about what that means. You know, they're praising the Lord. Why not I praise the Lord? That means you, you go back to what you read in Scripture about how Jesus died for us and how uh, the Lord sought us. It says the Father seeks those who worship him in spirit and truth. The Father sought us before we sought him. Why did the Father seek us? And not only did he seek us, he, he sought us from the foundation of the world. Before we were ever alive, before we were born, he had us in his heart. It says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Why was the lamb slain from the foundation? It was in his heart that he wanted our presence. Again, we talked last week, you know, the Lord knocks at the door. Why would he want my presence? What am I? I'm nothing, and, and yet worse than nothing. And yet he wants my presence, and he makes my presence more than nothing. He makes it some, It counts as something. You know, did you ever think of your worth? What is worth? Worth is only worth according to the beholder or the one who is making the purchase. That determines the worth. I heard a, a sermon once, uh, and a guy talked about this million-dollar car that somebody was just in awe of, and, and a bystander came by and said, that car's not worth a million dollars. I'd never pay that much for a car. And uh, the guy answered him and said, you know what? That's because it's not worth anything to you, but to this guy who paid a million dollars, it's worth it. It's, the worth is determined by the price that was paid. And he brings it back to what are we worth you know, we think we're nothing. We feel worthless, but Jesus shed his priceless blood for you and me. And when we didn't deserve a thing, and we still don't deserve a thing, and yet he seeks us out. He wants us to worship him so that he can pour more into us as we pour ourselves into him. That's a good deal on our side. But that he loves us. He takes pleasure in us. It says in Revelation 4.11 that he created us for his pleasure. By his will, he created us, but some translations call it his pleasure. But if that's not good enough, let's look at Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Man, that's good. He, he, he takes pleasure when we hope in his mercy. So stop coming to him and saying, oh, man, how can you love me? And why would you? I, I don't know if he's going to bless me or answer my... No, you come and say, man, you're merciful. You're merciful, and I'll, I'll receive it. Now, thank you that you have me in mercy right now, and, and, and this gives pleasure to the Lord. So, you know, think of how he, you know, why is this person groveling and sniveling before me and just saying, oh, oh Lord, does he not know that I already have mercy? My mercies are new every morning. My mercy is everlasting mercy, and it's hope and faith that pleases the Lord. Man. It's not that you come groveling and saying, I just haven't lived up to it today, Lord. You, you come saying, I know I haven't lived up to it, but you're merciful. And I, I thank you for it. I'd be done without it, but you are merciful. And then there's Psalm 149, verse 4. says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. And you know, this was written in the Old Testament. This was written about Israel and all the backsliding of Israel and all the, the failures and things. And the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. And worship, what is worship but a humbling of ourselves? So that means 
you're made beautiful when you worship. You want to become more beautiful? Worship the Lord. Praise is comely to the upright, it says somewhere. Um, but you worship him, and, and you become beautiful, and there's almost a, a romance here, indicate, a divine romance. There's intimacy in worship. In fact, one of the words used for worship, the, the word that's most used for worship in the New Testament is proskuneo, which means, pros means toward, and kuneo means kiss. Toward kiss. So it implies affection and love and intimacy. And when you kiss someone, is anybody else in your way? Is anything else in between? No, not unless you're blowing a kiss, I guess. That's the problem. Too many Christians are blowing a kiss to the Lord when we need to be in complete intimacy. That might make some people uncomfortable thinking of it this way, but I think the point is that it's intimacy that the Father seeks with us, and nothing gets in the way between two people who are kissing. There's intimacy there. So, if you want to strengthen yourself in the Lord, keep yourself in that love. Now, a way of keeping yourself in that love is looking for Him in the Word. Of course, we talk about that a lot. Find Him in the Word. Don't just read the Word, but you get in the Word and say, oh man, this is talking about Jesus. It talks about they were safe in Noah's Ark. It's not just about the Ark. It's about Jesus. You can find Jesus in practically every page of the Bible. Even in the genealogies. I don't know how, but someday it'll be revealed. It's, it's when we seek him, the Lord will reveal things to us through his word. But the Lord will reveal things to us through another book, too. And that's the book of nature. You know, the birds chirping, we talked about again. That, you know, the Lord can reveal himself through that. And Jonathan Edwards, one of the, the revivalists in our early American history, he wrote about... A rose. He was looking at a rose and he's saying the bud represents the glory and beauty of heaven and the thorns are the trials that we go through on this way in life. You can start to see the Lord in everything. I was walking down the street one day and saw the sun shining and just breathing the fresh air and I just started thinking about, Lord, you created that sun. You created this planet to be just in the right position so that it wouldn't burn up or freeze because the sun is just in the right place. You start looking for the Lord in everything, and there are spiritual parallels all around us. I've even seen a little children's book, The Three Little Pigs, turned into a spiritual allegory with the smartest pig building his house on the rock. You can, do, you can find the Lord if you're seeking him. David, when he was... Uh, considering the heavens, Psalm 8, 3, 3 to 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? It's all a matter of, are we walking through like the, the zombies of the walking dead? You know, not paying attention to anything around us, not seeing the Lord's fingerprint on anything around us, not thinking about what the Lord has done and, and all the good that we have in spite of the pain and suffering that we have to go through, there's really so much more that we can look for if we're looking for it. But most of us spend our time walking around dead to these things. So you want to increase your worship in spirit and truth, seek him, look for him. Now, someone says, well, I, I just don't have that poetic ability. I, don't, I can't see things like that. that doesn't, God can give it to you. God can reveal it to you. So if you can't find him in these things, 
then what do you do? You long for him. You long for him. Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. It's like, I'm thirsty. I need something to... I, I need to see your presence, Lord. I need, I need to see you show up in this situation. I need to get back in the love of God. Help me to have that revelation of your love again. Help me to see the cross. I was praying this week, and I, I was trying to get myself back in the love of God. and The cross, the cross. And I keep seeing images of the cross. And again, it's like I said, love. It's like we can get so used to it. You really have to get quiet and long for that depth of the cross to come back in and to overwhelm you. And it does when you, when you long for that, when you put yourself in a position for that. We have a, a sad, sad animal in our house right now because Jennifer's not there. Our poodle, seven of canine, it's a Star Trek reference. She, she is miserable when... Her master is not there. And all she does is long for Jennifer. Makes me sick. <laughs> I feed her too. But I'll get up in the morning before Jennifer, and the dog is waiting outside the door for Jennifer. I'll open the door, hey. And she just looks at me and looks past. Doesn't do anything. And it won't be until Jennifer wakes up and the dog comes in, does uh, oh my gosh, you're alive, oh, you're alive, and jumping all over the place and everything like that, and finally gets it all out of the system. Then the dog comes over and says hello to me. <laughs> but not until Jennifer first. And then if Jennifer leaves, if it's just 10 minutes, that dog is sitting by the door, and she comes home, and it's like she's been gone forever. More of the jumping. Anyway, but this dog, this dog worships her. This dog longs for her presence. This dog anticipates her coming in and, and hates it when she's gone. And that's how we need to be. If we want the Lord working in our lives, we have to anticipate and long for his presence. And if we're not sensing his presence, then we wait at the door until, until he shows up. And, and on top of that, the Lord is returning in a manifest presence. And we would do good to think about his return. He's going to right all wrongs. He's going to make everything right, fix all that's been broken. He's going to save us in a physical, manifest way with a new kingdom on this earth and the new heavens. And that's something to anticipate. We can be like this dog. And, and you know, that's kind of undignified. Yeah, he, the more we humble ourselves, the more he beautifies us with salvation. The more the connection is made. In, in, in the age to come, you won't need all this. What do I do? How do I strengthen all this stuff? When we are exposed to the glory of Jesus Christ in all his effulgent, I got that word from some theologian, effulgent glory, there's going to be no effort involved. I mean, you'll fall to your knees. You, you'll just, your jaw will drop. Oh, there will be no questions like, but what about what? no. It'll be effortless. It'll be incredible. It'll be something so powerful. And right now, we can get little hints of that, little tastes of that here and there, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. But think about what you can do now. There's something you can do now that you cannot do 
in the age to come, in heaven, in glory. And what is that? You can worship the Lord in the midst of sorrows, trials, difficulties, and you can still be in awe. You can still give him the praise by faith. You know, it'll be one thing when it's effortless, but faith pleases the Lord. Imagine how it would touch his heart. That's what he's seeking. He wants, he wants us, and it would touch his heart to see that we can worship him in an atmosphere that's not conducive to worship, which is this life. But how he might empower and quicken us, strengthen us, as we give ourselves to him in that he gives himself to us. Worship is a connection with God. It's you are loved, you are saved, but if you're not worshiping, the circuit is, is broken. It needs to be connect. Worship is the way to connect the circuit. You communicate your love and devotion to him, and he communicates his love and fellowship and devotion to you. And that's where the relationship comes in. That's where we get the power to stand in the evil day. That's where we get the hope to carry us through the difficult trial. That's where we become otherworldly beings. We don't have time for this lower stuff anymore. We have something greater and more glorious to be about. And what a privilege it is. We don't have to make a pilgrimage somewhere, but we can do it wherever we are, whenever we are, whatever we are. So, Lord, strengthen us. Let's pray and ask the Lord to strengthen us in these things and help us to be drawn to worship him in spirit and truth, in church and outside of church, wherever we go. Father, we thank you that you have made the way through Jesus. You have recovered your lost ones who were worshiping other things and brought us into a place where we can be in total position with you and in fellowship and relation with, with you. And I pray for each person here now, Lord, that you would strengthen their spirit and strengthen them in the truth, that you draw them out from the things of the world and into the things of heaven and the divine, and that you would bring uh, the communication of your blessing and presence into each life here as we, we look to you. And we thank you for your promise, Lord, that if we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Thank you that you're always with us, but we thank you too, Lord, for the effortless worship that will take place as we sense more and more your presence unto the fullness. In Jesus' name, amen.